All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, I'm excited about preaching one more time. And I have to say, I do feel sorry for all of the men who are here tonight and who went to the uh, couples retreat because this is the ninth time that you have heard me speak in um, uh, basically 48 hours. So uh, bless your heart. Uh, you're going to be sick of me. <laughs> uh, but uh, so just to, to make you feel better about it all, I will be uh, in my car driving back to Niagara Falls tomorrow morning, and you don't have to listen to me for a while. Amen? Unless you tune into Monday Medicine tomorrow morning. So uh, but we've had a great time. We have had such a good time. Everybody has been so incredibly nice. Uh, I mean, just gracious. We have been given more candy um, than um, I, I think. I don't think we have had as much candy given to us uh, in the last year as what we have had given to us since Friday night. And so, thank you for that. And um, uh, uh, that that is deeply appreciated. I think I'm going to uh, go on a diet tomorrow, uh, but it's the day before Valentine's Day, so I guess I better kick that down the road about another month, amen. Uh, but I was thinking about, uh, Hope gave us all that uh, candy, and uh, so I should add a sixth point to my sermon this morning, Hope is generous, amen. You like that? You like that? That, that was very kind, and... Um, I don't think any of it's left, so if you want to give us more before... No, I'm just, I'm just, playing, just playing with you, all right? But it, this has been awesome. And uh, just real quick before I get the sermon started, I do want to say that um, I, you probably, you may not realize when, when a church is experiencing a revival, too many times they don't know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we pray God send a revival, we want revival, we plead with God for revival, and then we, He gives us a revival, and we're still praying for a revival. And I wonder if sometimes maybe a church needs to stop praying for a revival and start thanking God for revival. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's, um, uh, I wonder what God thinks whenever we're praying, Oh, God, give us a revival, and God's looking down saying, I did! Hello, look around, all right? Appreciate what you've got. Folks, you've got something going on right now. I'll tell you this, in Niagara Falls, right outside of my office at our church, I have a map of Niagara Falls, and every street that we cover with uh, door hangers I highlight in blue. And um, every time I come across a vacant church building, I put a little orange um, uh, pushpin there on the map. And right now, there are nine orange pushpins on, uh, on my map. Now, just stop and think about it. Now, Niagara Falls it is not that big of a city. And to have nine churches that are sitting there empty. And you say, well, Pastor, why don't you get hold of one of those buildings and do something with them? Uh, well, I'll tell you this, they're probably not worth anything other than to knock them down at this point. Because, uh, you know, you have just a little bit of time to go by and nothing's been going on. And pipes bust and, and windows break and birds fly in. And, it's, and, and these buildings are in horrific condition, a lot of them are. And uh, um, churches are discouraged. Churches are... Uh, currently half of what they were prior to COVID. And a lot of folks have just said, I ain't going back. I'm just not. I don't want to go back. I'm tired of it. I paid my dues. I spent years down there. And I just don't want anything to do with it anymore. And uh, that is the condition of churches all across the country. If they are still open, they're hanging on by a thread. And yet in White Oak Baptist Church, you can't hardly find a place to sit. And you need to be grateful for that. You need to be incredibly grateful for that. Um, you've got a pastor that, I'll tell you right now, if you didn't want him, if you didn't want him, there'd be 200 churches tomorrow morning that would. That's just the honest truth, okay? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I know churches who have been looking for pastors, and, and by the way, I'm not recommending he go anywhere. I'm glad he's here. This is really good, all right? 
But I know churches that have been looking for pastors for a long time and they have finally come to the realization that Spurgeon ain't coming. Okay? But uh, let me just tell you, Spurgeon came here. You are blessed. You are blessed. And so I hope you uh, love and value and appreciate what you have going on here, because it's not happening everywhere. I can tell you that for sure. All right, let me let me preach tonight. Okay, one last time, and um, uh, this is kind of a um, a follow up to uh, this morning's sermon. And um, I, I hope that uh, what I preached on this morning uh, was helpful to you. Uh, I, I think before I dive into this, I probably ought to say that sometimes when you preach sermons like that, and this one I'm getting ready to, sometimes it stirs up sad, negative memories. With people, and, and it makes you remember some things that you just wish you could forget. Let me say that when you pause and think about those times in your life that you wish you could forget, I wish rather than looking back and being sad, I wish you could look back and praise God for His goodness and His deliverance. Amen. Uh, listen, everybody's been betrayed. Everybody has. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been lied about. Everybody's been cheated on. Everybody's been mistreated. Everybody has gone through horrific situations in their life. But not everybody has found deliverance. But you have. And you need to praise God for that. And so when you hear a sermon like this morning and when you hear a sermon like tonight, I, I hope you will look back with joy in your heart for how God has been good to you. Now, has God fixed every problem in your life? No, He hasn't, but He will one day. Okay? One day you're going to step onto heaven's shore and you're going to think, Oh my! Everything I wanted down there, I got up here. So, uh, so hang in there. So Matthew chapter 26 is a famous story. Maybe the most famous story of the Bible. It's the story of the leading up to the crucifixion. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. I'm going to pray and I'll give you an introduction. And uh, my, my sermon basically breaks down into four main thoughts. So Matthew 26, 36, the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, please help me uh, to uh, preach this sermon the way you would preach it if you were in person right here tonight. And God, I pray that you'll help those that might be in a, a difficult spot in their life. I pray, God, that you'll give them power. I pray that you'll give them deliverance. And I pray, God, that they will see the value of these dark times. And we pray this, dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the setting uh, for the sermon tonight and the setting of Matthew 26 is very simple. It is that Jesus has just finished the, uh, the Last Supper. You remember the Leonardo da Vinci painting where you got Jesus in the middle of the disciples on both sides and you have Leonardo da Vinci sitting over in the corner with a paintbrush? That didn't happen. I'm just trying to see if anybody's awake here, okay? All right, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, that uh, picture that we all are imagining right now, that, that picture is of what just happened here. And um, uh, the disciples left the upper room where the Last Supper took place. Judas went to go betray Jesus, and Jesus and the other eleven disciples went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, uh, Peter, James, and John went a little further into the Garden than the rest of the disciples, and Jesus went a little further than that. To go in and pray. Now, uh, can you just pause for a minute and think about the significance of that moment? Can you just think about that? Uh, all of the um, the parables have all been told. All of the miracles, obviously, with the exception of you know the the post crucifixion miracles, have all happened. The 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 lame have been made to walk, the blind have been made to see, the deaf have been made to hear, the multitudes have been fed. It's all over with, and everything that. Uh, that so many of his followers were hoping was going to happen is now coming to find, they're finding out it's not going to happen. Uh, those that thought that Jesus was going to bring in some political regime to take over and fix all of the problems of the world are now starting to realize that he is not bringing in a political regime to fix all the problems of the world. And there will never be a political regime that fixes all the problems of the world. How many of you are old enough to have finally figured this out? 
Okay? How many of you ever voted for somebody and you thought, there you go, that'll fix it, only to find out that four years later, eight years later, twelve years later, six years later, we still got problems. Right? Still got problems. Problems never get fixed. Now you gotta say, well, sometimes the politician will fix every problem they fix, there's ten more problems that arise. Okay? I'm not looking for any politician to fix my problems. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But a lot of Jesus' disciples they, and followers, they thought, oh, he's coming in to fix the problem. Well, they're all about to have their dreams dashed. And what is Jesus doing at this time? He's doing what you ought to be doing at this time. He's praying. He's praying. John R. Rice, the famous preacher of the last century, said, All our failures are prayer failures. And I'll say more about that in just a minute. First time I heard that stated, I heard uh, John R. Rice's successor, Curtis Hudson, say that all our failures are prayer failures. And the first time I heard it, I thought, Seriously? All of my. And then I thought, You know what? If I have failures as a father. It's because I'm not praying right as a father. If I have failures as a husband, it's because I'm, I'm not praying right as a husband. If I, if I have failures as a pastor, I'm not praying right as a pastor. And I agree with that statement. So what is Jesus doing at this crucial moment? Maybe I, I don't think I'm out of bounds in saying the most crucial moment in the history of the world. How many of you would agree that that might be the most crucial moment in the history of the world? Now, where did Jesus go to pray at this crucial moment? Where did He go? Did He go down into Jerusalem? No. Did He go to His hometown of Bethlehem? No. Did He go to the Jordan River where He was baptized? No. Did He go to the Sea of Galilee where uh, all those stories took? No. Where did He go? He went to a place, a little garden, that was on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of what? Olives. How many of you like olives? Alright? I can't stand olives. Man. Now I like olive oil. But olives, if I've got an olive in my mouth, it just don't feel right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, what is that in there? That's not right. And uh, I had somebody one time tell me it feels like there's an eyeball in my mouth. And I thought, okay, I don't, I don't, even, I don't need to be thinking about that. That's nasty, all right? But I, I'm not the biggest fan of olives. But when Jesus went to go pray at the most crucial moment in the history of the world, he went to the Mount of what? Olives. Olives. To a garden called Gethsemane. Now, this is important to the uh, sermon tonight. The word Gethsemane means a place of pressing. A place of pressing. Or another way to say it, if if you happen to be a note taker, I would tell you, you ought to write down another way of saying a place of pressing is a place of crushing. A place of crushing. Because on the Mount of Olives, they would gather the olives and they would bring them to the Garden of Gethsemane and they would crush those olives there and the oil would come out and they would sell that oil. It was really a a pretty important thing to their culture to have olive oil. But I, I, I don't think it is coincidental at all, not even a little bit coincidental, that God, when when they came to this amazing moment in the history of the world, that Jesus went to the place of pressing. The place of crushing. I don't think that's coincidental at all. Now, here's the question before I get into the outline. Have you ever been in a place of pressing? A place of pressing where you felt like you're between a rock and a hard place where you, you feel like the stress is just pushing you down and, and you feel like the blood pressure is going up and you, you just feel like, how in the world am I going to get out of this? I, I, I love what Pastor Lejeune said a minute ago about the Financial Peace University and how the, you said that you don't feel like you're too bad about handling your finances now. I don't know what all is involved in you adding the word now, but I assume that 
you did some things like me <laughs> when I was a little bit younger. I, I Financially, I did some things straight out of the gate in our marriage. I look back and I think, what in the world was I thinking? That, how dumb was that? How, how, what was I thinking, you know? And you can get yourself in a spot where, where you, you've got too much month left at the end of your bills, right? And, and you, you just don't know what to do. You can find yourself in situations where you don't know what you're going to do about your job, and you don't know what you're going to do about your bills, and you don't know what you're going to do about your marriage, and you don't know what you're going to do about your kids. And some of you are thinking that, you know, if I just get my kids graduated from high school and 18 years old, then I can wipe the sweat from my forehead and I'm done. Now, how many of you have lived long enough to figure out that that's not real smart thinking either? Okay? Alright? Now, I will say that it's I'm glad I'm not in that diaper changing stage anymore because I didn't enjoy that. That was awful. But my kids are grown, but it's not less stressful. A place of pressing, a place of pressing. Jesus was here in a place of pressing. You have been crushed at times. You have been crushed at times. You and I, all of us, have had that. I'm not going to bore you with all these. I scribbled down just on my notes here just so that at this point in the sermon I would remember sometimes in my life that, that I had been crushed. I mean, just absolutely crushed. And I felt those moments like I talked about this morning where I wasn't really sure there was any hope. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. I'm going to, you don't have to turn to it, but if you can if you'd like to, but I'm going to read them for you. Uh, you. You ever hear anybody say, God will not put any more on you than you can stand? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Y'all know that's not true, right? I mean, that is totally not true. <laughs> Alright. You say, whoa, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that we're going to be, that He'll put something on us that we that we'll crush under the weight of that? The answer is yes. Because that's kind of the point sometimes that we have to be pressed and we have to be crushed. Let me, let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible says, um, this is Paul speaking about his missions journeys. He said, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure. We were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we were despaired even of life. And then verse 9 says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. Can I tell you what that says? He just said there that we were pressed beyond measure. In other words, we were crushed to the point where we popped. Okay? And God put more on us than we could handle. And we crushed underneath the weight. But in that, we trusted in God. Now, I will say that God will not put more on you than you and He together can't handle. Okay? But He will put more on you than you can handle all by yourself because it is then, in those pressing, crushing times, it is only then that you'll ever really understand that I need God to help me to not be destroyed underneath the crushing and the pressing. Now let me jump into the outline tonight. If you're taking notes, let me give you number one. I want to begin by saying that crushing is for pouring. Crushing is for pouring. Look at verses 37 through 39. The Bible says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And you think you're the only one that ever gets sorrowful and very heavy. Jesus himself became sorrowful and very heavy. And then verse 38 says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Wait a minute. He's not ready to die yet. There's a lot that's got to happen in the next several hours before he dies. But he said, right now, I am sorrowful to the extent that I am right there at the edge of death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying... And I'll stop the reading right there. I'll, I'll get into the, uh, the rest of that in just a minute. But I think you can see right there that Jesus was being crushed and being poured out. In, in my notes, I wrote in parentheses the word anointing. The word anointing. Because uh, in Bible days that there, there, uh, there was a, uh, a ritual of anointing. If a man was to become the king of the nation, what they would do is they would take a horn, 
that was maybe off of a ram, or in David's case, uh, in one of them, it was a unicorn. And some people make fun of the Bible because it talks about unicorns. They say, there have been no such thing, no unicorns. The Bible's full of fairy tales. Y'all ever heard of a rhinoceros? I'm not saying that was the kind of unicorn, but there are plenty of rhinoceroses that have one. Right? I mean, uh, people, listen, people who want to make fun of the Bible really should knock it off. <laughs> okay? Because they really make themselves look unintelligent. So we have unicorns today. All right? But anyway, David was anointed with a horn of a unicorn. What they do is they would take a, a horn or antler, whatever you want to call it, and they would hollow out the inside of it, and they would fill it with, guess what? Olive oil. With olive oil. And then they would pour it over the head of the person being anointed. This would happen with priests. This would happen with kings. And this would happen in other situations. Um, and it was a, a, a way of um, typifying the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you this. And I'm not proud to say this. I'm embarrassed to say this. But I have stood and preached the Bible at times where I just don't think my sermon had the anointing of the Spirit of God on it. And it wasn't because of the Bible, because the Bible is always the Bible. Amen? I think, how many of you think the problem was not the Bible, but maybe the problem was me? All right? Listen, I, virtually every sermon I preach, one of my last thoughts before I get started is, Curtis, don't get in the way. Don't get in the way. Don't mess this up. If you just let the Bible say what the Bible says, and if you can just explain it way where you put it out there and make it understandable, it will do what it is sent to do, right? It will. Uh, the Word will not return void, but it will do what it was sent out there to do. And so my, my thought before I preach is don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Don't make it so much Curtis King that there's not enough Bible there. And so uh, the, the anointing, I think you get the idea. So here Jesus is there and he is being crushed. And it, the crushing is for pouring, it's for anointing. Now, you might say, you know, I really want Pastor Lejeune to have the anointing of the Lord on him when he preaches. I really want Brother Andrew to have the anointing of the Lord on him when he does his ministry. But can I tell you what they want? They really want the anointing of the Lord on the people that they're trying to minister to. There is not a special anointing for the clergy. <laughs> you understand? Now, do we need it? Yes, we need it, but you do too. Everybody here, need, and you're not going to get the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life Apart from crushing, there is no pouring if there is no crushing. I was talking to a preacher years and years ago, and he mentioned to me about a, another pastor who was going through the trial of his life. I mean, it was bad. And everything of my knowledge, that particular preacher had done absolutely nothing wrong, but it seemed like the forces of hell were all unleashed on that man. And this older preacher I was talking to was telling me about this guy who was going through so. He said, I'm telling you right now, God is getting ready to use him in a great way. Why? Because he was being crushed. He was being pressed. And the purpose of the crushing and the pressing the pressing is anointing. It is anointing. About a year ago, I got a call from a young preacher that I, I know real well and I love him. And, uh, and we're close. And um, we, um, and honestly, it just gets me really emotional even just to, to bring it up in a sermon. But in our phone conversation, he was crying. And, um, and this guy, he's, he's not very old, and he's, you know, I'll tell you something that's really sad, and sometimes church members don't really get this. We, we expect an, uh, a young preacher to have the wisdom of an old preacher, and we expect the old preacher to have the energy of a young preacher. Can we all agree that's really not fair? It's really not fair, okay? And so this young preacher, he, he is being... Uh, there are some expectations that are put on him that are just not 
realistic. And there's this uprising in his, and he cried and he cried on the phone. And, and I tried just to give him some practical advice that maybe you need to sit down and talk with this person and maybe you need to present your case this way and maybe you need to say this and that and, and, but ultimately, when we got down to the end of the conversation, we talked about who you need to meet with and what you need to say and how you need to approach it and all of the practical stuff. I told myself, ultimately, what you need to understand is this heavy, heavy trial can produce the anointing of the Lord on your life in a greater way if you can just open your eyes to that. And I'd like to st- stand here tonight and tell you that about a year later, that guy's doing real well. <laughs> he weathered the storm. Everybody against him is now for him. <laughs> some of the greatest enemies are now some of the greatest friends, and, and he is on fire doing great. And I think I can say that he has an anointing from God greater than it ever has been in his short ministry ever before. Listen, what, what do you do? What do you do at White Oak Baptist Church? What do you do? Do you do the Saturday outreach? Do you do that? Can I just say that Saturday outreach is more than just you hanging a, car, a, a card on a door? Saturday outreach is more than you just writing a little note? Sa- do you understand what I'm trying to say? Every note you write, pray for the anointing of the Lord on that note. Every door hanger you hang on a door, pray for the anointing of the Lord on that door hanger. And if you say, well, Pastor, I'm just not really at a place where I even understand what that means, then be ready because God might have to put you through some trials to squeeze some of that oil out of you. So, pressing, crushing is for pouring. I'll hurry on to number two. The second thing I want to say to you tonight is crushing is for pride. Crushing is for pride. Go back to verse 33. We're going backwards here. And this is before Jesus actually went to to pray, not my will but thine. But right before verse 33, the Bible says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Y'all remember what happened right after that, right? Peter had egg on his face. He said, oh, you know what? Everybody else might turn their back on you, but I ain't turning my back on you. What's Peter's problem right there? I'll tell you what Peter's problem is right there. His problem is pride. When he said that everybody else might turn their back, but I won't, what he was saying is that I am on a level that everybody else is not on. I am smarter than everybody else. I am more godly than everybody else. I'm more spiritual than everybody else. I know more than everybody else. I'm better than everybody else. And if you ever start getting an attitude like that, you need to knock it off. Amen? I know what this church needs. Oh, do you now? (laughs) I know what Pastor Lejeune needs to do around this place. Tell you what, if I was Brother Andrew, I'd tell you how I'd handle that. Now, would you? Now, would you? What you're saying when you say that is, I am smarter than everybody. I am wiser than everybody else. I know more than everybody. Careful, careful, careful. Because God had a way of squeezing that little crow to make him make his little noise at just the right time to show Peter that you are not all that in a bag of Fritos. You're just not. You're not near as awesome as you think you are. You're not. God brought Jesus and Peter and James and John and the other disciples to the pressing place because they needed the pride to be squeezed out of them. Now, listen, listen close to this. Listen close to this. We, we are a month and a half away from Pentecost. Month and a half away in this story. Okay? Guess who the keynote speaker is at Pentecost? That'd be Peter. Peter is not qualified to stand up there and preach 
to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost if he's full of himself. Because the message is not about, it's not a message about Peter. It's a message about Jesus. And if Peter is up there preaching Peter, then the whole thing is just ruined. And God knew Peter has got to come down a notch or two or three before he is qualified to stand up there in front of all those people and preach. You see, the the crushing and the pressing is for pride because God has to get that out of all of us. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, we have another instance with Peter. And uh, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You know what sifting as wheat means? It's probably a rather crude way of illustrating this, but let's just say that um, that this was just a board unattached here, and uh, let's just say that the, there was like a mesh over the, the top so that uh, things could fall through. And let's say the mesh on here was small enough to let dirt fall through, but let's say that it was that, that but also the size was to keep the wheat from falling through. Everybody with me on this? And, and let's just say that this was, you know, maybe about ten times the size as it is. And so let's say the pastoral journey and I, we get our shovels out and we shovel all this wheat on here, okay? Shovel all this wheat on here until it's all covered in wheat. And then he would stand on one side and I would stand on the other side and we'd stand there and just go shake, 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 shake. Nod your head if you're following me so far. Okay, all right, so shaking that thing up really, really good. Now, let's also say that wheat, every little grain of wheat, let's say that it has inside that little tiny wheat a brain. That'd be about the size of some of our brains, okay? <laughs> but well, let's say, how many of you think after shake, 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 that that wheat's like, oh, oh, stop it already. Stop it already. I can't handle this. I'm getting dizzy. I'm getting nauseous. I can't up and down, up and down. Oh! Jesus said to Peter, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. Satan hath desired to shake you and shake you. And I'm going to say to you tonight, Satan desires to shake you up. But you know what? Satan doesn't understand. This is the best part of the whole sermon tonight. <laughs> okay. This is really good. (laughs) In fact, I'm so excited about saying that I'm a little bit beside myself here. What Satan doesn't get about the sifting process is once you've taken that wheat and you shook it and shook it and shook it and shook it, now it's clean. It's clean. Do you know how much bread you can make with unsifted wheat? None. Because it'd be gross. It'd have all this chaff in it. It'd have all this dirt in it. It would have worms in it. But when you sift it, now the wheat doesn't like the sifting, but the wheat has to be sifted. Any of y'all ever been sifted? Any of you ever been sifted? Any of you ever been shook really hard? Any of you ever thought, Am I like living on a roller coaster or something? This is horrible. God, do you even know what's going on in my life right now? And God's looking down saying, you know what? You are in a place of pressing right now. You're in a place of crushing right now. And I understand that it feels awful. But it is necessary. The dirt and the chaff and the worms that have to get shook off... All of those nasty things that have to be separated from the wheat can all come under the banner of one word, and that is pride. And that is pride. You've got to get you out of you. You've got to get you out of you. Can I tell you what Peter's biggest problem was? Peter's biggest problem was Peter. My biggest problem is Curtis. And that's why John said, He must increase. I must decrease. Peter, you don't know where you are, do you, buddy? You're in Gethsemane. 
Peter, you're in Gethsemane. You're about to get crushed. You're about to lose it and show everybody what, that you still got that temper. You're about to try to cut a guy's head off here in a few minutes. And show everybody what a rascal you are. You're about to embarrass yourself. You're about to cuss around a fire and deny Jesus. But you know what? Through the shame and the embarrassment and the stress and watching this Jesus that he really did love bleeding on a cross, God squeezed that pride out of him. If I were to ask anybody who's ever studied the Bible hardly at all, who is the most immature of all the disciples, I think everybody would say Peter. But isn't it interesting that later on, God had Peter write two books of the Bible, and the theme of those two books is maturity? (laughs) Well, what's the difference between the immature Peter and the Peter that's writing about maturity? The pride's gone. Pride's gone. All right, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. All right. So number one, crushing is for pouring or anointing. Number two, crushing is for pride. Number three, crushing is prayer producing. Now I mentioned this earlier because I kind of felt like I had to, uh, but let me let me bring it up again here. Back in verse number thirty-nine, I read all the way down uh, to the prayer in verse thirty-nine a minute ago. Let me read the prayer. Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And you can read on about about the prayer. Um, uh, we won't take time to do it, but if you read after John fourteen, where Jesus was in the upper room, if you read what takes place after that, you have the longest prayer Jesus ever prayed, and it was in about the same time frame here. It was prayer producing, prayer producing. Can I make a confession to you tonight? When I'm going through deep, deep trials. My prayer life gets really, really good. When I've got plenty of money, and when I don't have anybody mad at me, and I feel really good, and my car works, and my kids aren't having any problems, my prayer life wilts a little bit. And my prayer tonight is, God, please help me to have as fervent of a prayer life now as I did on the worst day of my life. Pressing is prayer producing. If pressing produced prayer in Jesus, then you should let it produce prayer in you. God would love to hear from you. And then finally, number four, but don't get excited, i got a story to tell you. (laughs) All right, number four is crushing has a price. Crushing has a price. Uh, crushing has a price on the front end and on the back end. I'll say more about that in a minute. But verse 40 says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth him asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup... Uh, may not pass away from me, except I drink it. Thy will be done. Uh, let me go ahead and read verse 43 before I make that comment. Verse 43, And he came and found them asleep again, and their eyes were heavy. Um, uh, you, you can just feel the agony of Jesus going through this. And by the way, um, I, I don't... I have heard theologians try to explain that passage. I've never heard it explained to my satisfaction. And so don't ask me to try to explain it. I'm not near as smart as a whole lot of other people. All I know is this, that was a stressful time. And what Jesus prayed, I'm not sure I'm able to connect all the dots in it. I'm just not, okay? But I hear what he's saying, I see what he's saying, and I see the pressing that is taking place here. But, uh, but crushing has a price. Now, I mentioned it has a price on the front end and on the back end. The crushing on the front end is that you have all these olives. And by the way, I, I mentioned I don't like olives. I do, uh, I do like the smell of olives. Okay? I do like that. And I will say that anything that just gets smashed really hard, something unsettling about that. But uh, So the price on the front end is all these beautiful, good-smelling olives are all put into this 
this um, rolling bin where the big stone is there, and, and they all get this stone rolled over the top of them, and it's as if you are destroying all of these olives. That's a price you have to pay. And sometimes when you think you are losing, you're really gaining. Because all of these destroyed olives, they have a little little gutter on that stone that comes down. And all that olive oil comes running down there and they fill up their pots at the bottom of it. And that's where you get the price on the back end. Olive oil was very expensive. It was very, very expensive. Olive oil is more expensive than olives are. For obvious reasons. Because there's more work that's involved in that. There's a price. Now what I'll say to you to this, and please hear me, do you want to be a good Christian? I think I know the answer because I don't really know why you would be sitting in here on a Sunday night if you didn't want to be a good Christian. But I would rephrase that question, do you really want to be a good Christian? Because if you really want to be a good Christian, there is a price to pay. There's a price to pay. One of the prices you've got to pay is you've got to turn off all them TV preachers they keep telling you that if you send them a hundred bucks, you'll be wealthy. And you'll have good luck. And your sicknesses will go away. That's not how it works. Because sometimes the very things they're trying to give you good luck over are some of the things that God has to bring into your life to press you and crush you so the oil will come out. So... Do you really want to be a good Christian? You might have to get crushed by somebody or something or some expense. But I will say this. If you'll take it with the joy of the Lord in your heart, on the back end of it, you'll be much more valuable than you were on the front end. Now, I'm going to tell you a a very strange story. And you've probably never heard a story quite like this one before in church. Uh, I think before I, before I tell you my story, I probably should give you a disclaimer. <laughs> you get nervous, Pastor Richard? <laughs> you probably ought to be. <laughs> I, my disclaimer is this. I, I'm not one of these preachers that puts a lot of stock in dreams. Okay? Now, you might say, well, Pastor, but these guys in the Bible, you know, God gave them dreams. Well, listen, buddy, you ain't Daniel. (laughs) Okay? You're just not. All right? You say, are you saying God can't speak to us through dreams? What I am saying is, if God could speak to you or if God does speak to you through dreams, how do you decipher whether it is a dream from God or a dream because you had too much sausage for dinner? Because let me tell you, I've had some weird dreams. I mean, I've had some weird, weird dreams. I dreamed Janet had ears on top of her head like a kitten. I have no idea why I dreamed that. And I looked at was that God? <laughs> I'm guessing no. So having said that, I, 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 I'm not one of these that buys into all, you know, oh, dreams and visions. I, I'm not there. But I did have a dream I want to tell you about. Okay, um, so my wife and I, we've been married 35 years, and um, uh, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on our honeymoon. And uh, anybody here ever been to Gatlinburg? Okay, number of you have, all right. Love Gatlinburg, just a beautiful place. And so that's where we went on our honeymoon. Um, uh, we got there late Saturday night, Sunday morning, our first Full day of, of being married. We get up Sunday morning, and, um, and, and i got to confess, we skip church. Okay, that's the only day of your life you're allowed to skip church. Amen. <laughs> it's okay if I said that. <laughs> uh, 
so we, we, we get up and, and we're going to go to breakfast. And we really hadn't made a plan where to go. And so, uh, if y'all remember the old, uh, Howard Johnson's, Howard Johnson hotels, remember they were orange and green. And, uh, remember a lot, most of the Howard Johnson's had a restaurant. Remember that? Well, in Gatlinburg, uh, there was a Howard Johnson's right there on the main drag. And, uh, and they had a restaurant. And it's kind of like a Denny's kind of, kind of, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You younger folks are like, I don't have no idea what you're talking about, all right? But anyway, so uh, so on the first day of our married life, we go to Howard Johnson's for breakfast, and I can, uh, we walked in, turned to the right, went all the way to the very back, and sat in the last booth on the right. I remember it really well. Don't remember what we ate, but I do remember this this honeymooning couple sitting back there, all snuggled up with each other, amen, loving this, uh, can't believe we are married. Oh, this is so cool, so cool, all right? Fast forward this to, I don't know, 10 or, 10 or so years ago, and I had a dream. And uh, in my dream, in my dream, I dreamed that Janet and I, and at this point in our life, we're probably, you know, mid-40s, approaching 50, and that we were driving through Gatlinburg in, on a morning. And um, so we uh, were going down the main drag in Gatlinburg, and, and uh, I said, hey, let's, let's go in and have breakfast where we had our, our first meal as, as a married couple. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. So we parked the car. I, I remember it well. you got to drive under like an awning to get back into where the like, motel area is. And we parked the car there, and we walked in. And, uh, and there's a lady there that asked if she could seat us. And we're like, yeah. And I looked back to the table, and I, I said, would you mind if we sat back there? That's where we sat um, uh, right after we got married, and the waitress was happy to do that. And we start walking back there. Now, now, this is where this dream got really weird. And sitting back there in that booth was me and her. But we were the age we were when we got married. And we, in my dream, we are walking back there to us. Okay? And this, I'm telling you, it's weird. This is really weird. And um, I told the waitress, I said... Uh, we want to sit with them. And she said, sure, yeah, no problem. She had no idea. And so Janet looked at me, and I looked at her, and we sat down in the booth right across from us. <laughs> and I looked at me, and me looked at I. <laughs> All right. And I looked at Janet, and I looked at my other Janet. I looked at my wife, and I looked at my other wife. <laughs> and... The younger me tilted his head and looked at me like something weird's going on here. And then the younger me looked at her and thought, you look exactly like my new wife. <laughs> see what I did there? You see what I did there? She hadn't changed a bit. Genius. Right? That's the older, wiser pastor speaking there. Amen. <laughs> All right. So in my dream. This is, this is kind of the tough point. At about that point, I figured out what's going on. And I wanted to look over at my younger self. And I wanted to say, listen, you're going to have four kids. But your second one will be born not breathing. Okay, and it's going to take a team of doctors and nurses to stand around her and just pump on that little teeny tiny body until finally she starts breathing. And and uh, and the, but once they, when they get her breathing, don't worry, it's going to be okay. She's going to have seizures, and they're going to be really bad, horrifying seizures. Her whole body, the grand mal seizures, is what they call them. And they're going to rush her to Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And, and your whole life is going to be in a tizzy for a year. And you're not going to know if she has permanent brain damage or not for 12 months. But I wanted to reach over and grab my hand and say, but it's all going to be okay. It's going to be fine. She, she will grow up and she will get married to this really cool guy. And, and they're going to have babies and they're going to serve God. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say, y'all listen to me. You're going to take a church that can't pay you. (laughs) 
But it's okay, all right? They can't pay you anything. But I'm telling you, one night, the one little deacon that you got, he's going to stand up there and have the church vote to pay you $43.75 a week. No health insurance. Your first child is going to be born with no health insurance. Second and third born, no health insurance. But I wanted to say, look at myself in the eyes and say, there are going to be some nights that you go home that there is nothing to eat at all. And you have no money. And you'll pop some popcorn for the kids and you and your cute little bride here will watch. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say you're going to land in the ministry what you think is your dream job and then you're going to get fired. I wanted to say that. I wanted, I wanted to go through every heartache. I wanted to go through every problem they're going to face. I wanted to go through every valley you're ever going to trudge through. I wanted to go through all of them. But in my dream, my mind is rushing a million miles an hour of all the things I want to say, I want to say, I want to say. they got to know, they got to know. And finally, I just decided this. I grabbed Janet's hand. And I grabbed my hand, and I grabbed the other Janet's hand, and the four of us in my dream sat there holding hands, and I said, all you need to know is that God is good, and He's going to take care of you. God is good, and He's going to take care of you. And we got up and walked out. And I woke up in a cold sweat, (laughs) because it was the most realistic dream I'd ever had in my life. But what I took away from that is this. God knew every trial we'd ever face, and God knew every burden we'd ever carry, and we didn't have to know all those things ahead of time. God didn't have to get my permission to let any of these things happen. God didn't have to you know, say, hey, Curtis, heads up, heads up here. <laughs> Unnecessary. Because God had already told me, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I had one more verse on my notes here that I forgot to give. (laughs) All right, there it is. Psalm 119, verse 71. David said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good for me that I've been crushed. It's good for me that I've been pressed. And it's good for me that God has squeezed the oil out of my life to make something valuable out of it. Whatever pressing, crushing you're going through, it's good. It's good. And it's okay. And you can have faith in God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.